2: Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Thistle Rugby Podcast, uh, the podcast formerly known as the only podcast that cares about Scottish rugby. How are you guys doing? It is a Wednesday evening before the Calcutta Cup weekend and I am joined, as always, by Matt.
3: Hi guys, how are we doing? Uh, Yeah, exciting week ahead of rugby and really looking forward to Saturday, really hoping for a win.
2: And he's back by popular demand, the resident negative influence at the Thistle, Alan Little good to be here short and sharp as always okay so thanks again for joining us as always you can find us on the itunes app get on there and subscribe as well as the acast podcast app and get some subscriptions on there it really helps us out if you can leave a review five stars of course um as one of our faithful listeners did this week um it was patty mctavish (laughs) saying this pod is as enjoyable as a Chris Patterson covering tackle or watching Jason White put someone into next week. Cracking pods, lads. Keep them coming. Nice little reference to the great white shark there. Watsonian's legend. Some would say, yeah, no, it's very good. Absolutely. Um, And, okay, so we've got a good episode for you guys today. Obviously, just two thistly issues this week because obviously there is only one um, big game in town. So we're going to have a look, obviously, at the Scotland game on saturday our entry point to that is we're going to start by putting together a sort of combined scotland and england 15 so we think that'll help us flesh out what the key areas are going to be and then the big second point can scotland win the calcutta cup we've also got a calcutta cup themed quiz which matt has put together so how many mistakes do you think you've made in this one
3: i actually was doing my research today when i should have been working and i think i've got them all right
2: Wow, you heard it here first. We will see see what happens. Um, but
3: first, why don't we have a little look at some
2: Scottish rugby news, some signing stuff. Lee Jones, two-year deal at Glasgow. Alan, decent signing? Yeah, I think so. I think he's, he's a good player for
0: Glasgow specifically just because, you know, with the amount of players that they've got off in international duty, Lee Jones is like a good club player, not going to be playing any international rugby. I don't think in the future, and so and you in Champions Cup he was getting close to sort of man of the match. So no, good man seems to have refound his form after sort of a few years sort of out in
3: the wilderness sort of playing a bit of sevens. So no, great to see it. Yeah, I think it's a really good signing as, as you say. He's been playing really well in the in the um, in the Champions Cup when he's had a shot, um, and it's, it's a bit of a turnaround considering he sort of got given the chop by by Edinburgh. Um, in other news, you know that Mar- Mario McCallum signed a full. Um, sort of pro contract now he was on an elite development contract which is I think really good news. Does that mean he's on
2: £10 an hour now rather than <laughs> £6 an hour? I think we can claim this as a scalp for the the thistle because we were the ones who drew attention to Murray McCallum working at less than minimum wage for uh, for Edinburgh Rugby so now he's on a pro contract so Murray you're welcome we'll take a cut if you want to give some of that away. I mean we are literally the watchdog of the rugby world <laughs>
0: <laughs> helping the most vulnerable in society. <laughs>
2: Um, and what else was there Ooh, this week? Alan, you must have been delighted watching the uh, the bath game at the weekend to see Dent Weezy put in, um, absolutely butcher a, a chance.
0: Poor old Dent Weezy. <laughs> Straight through, glory in front of him. And he waited till four metres over the line to dot down the ball and sadly put his foot into touch. But no, sort of, I didn't get to didn't catch much of the game just saw the highlights on ITV but yeah Denton absolutely butchering our try and um, Adam Hastings having sort of a nice break for that opportunity but supposedly didn't play particularly well.
2: Yeah I read a there was quite a decent um, article in the Bath Chronicle about it and I think they said that it showed that he had sort of touches of class but it was a shame that his first game proper game of the season for Bath where he got 80 minutes was against Wasps where he didn't really have the opportunity or, like, you know, a slightly softer opposition to find his feet. Um, but I, I, I think he's got some touches in there. I think the, the break he made in the dummy and he looks, he looks class. Hopefully, under Dave Rennie, he can come forward and um, really assert himself as Scotland's number two.
3: Yeah, I think that he's hopefully going to be a, a really good signing, particularly if um, Russell does move on. Um, There's another bit of signing rumour um, that's been doing the rounds on Twitter um, Napoleone Lelanga potentially going to glasgow i think there's quite a few teams interested in him but um imagine a a back three of of him seymour and hogg i think that could do some some serious damage
0: well two things firstly supposedly newcastle in for him and they've got like gonova like i don't know why they need another sort of polynesian winger um but also suppose he's on like a million euros at like Leon, or there was some maybe I'm sort of, I'm probably chatting, shit, but supposedly he was on like an unbelievable amount of money, which would be pro- and he's currently on more money than Hogg is at Glasgow. So it would be surprising if Glasgow would be open to and would be willing to pay that amount of money. Yeah. So, especially with sort of Dave Rennie coming across, just does it just seems like a little bit of a strange signing, but I don't know, it'd be sweet. He was awesome back in the day. Although there was that story about how he sort of, like, went missing for, like, four months and the Claremont coach had to, like, fly out to Fiji and he was, like, chilling out with his family in, like, a village or something. Do you remember that?
3: Yeah. Was it not the same as Rupeni um, Thautha, that he was just, like, you know, I don't want to be horrible, but a hot kind of smoking weed. <laughs> um, and they were just like, what are you up to? And he was like, oh, you know, just a chilled out sort of islander. So maybe that's what you get with him coming to Glasgow. We'll see. Well, I mean... It was good Glasgow got back to winning ways at the
2: at the weekend though a big bonus point win against the fearsome dragons who are so bad that the Welsh rugby union are being forced to buy them <laughs> uh
0: yeah although dragons did just sign Zane Kirshner, which is one of the most random deals i've seen um no so first twenty thirty minutes they were like Glasgow were ten nil down, and I, I was basically thought it was going to be the same as the last few weeks were glasgow were sort of lacking a lot of cohesion and just didn't just didn't look the team we know they can be but they managed to sort of get together sort of the little monster nick grigg came back on the scene scored a really really great try bennett was looking a bit sharper so yeah and just bonus point win that's all you can ask for done and dusted
2: can they make it into the quarterfinals, Matt? I know you've been having a look at the uh, fixtures coming up, possibly with uh, you know the big rivalry
3: against Edinburgh being a decider. Yeah, quite interesting. That's their last game of the season, um, which will be at Scotland. But, but before that, they've got some tough games. So they've got Connacht at home, um, they've got Munster away and Leinster away, and then what you'd expect is a five-pointer against uh, Zebre at home. Um, yeah, I mean, if they get their players back... I think they could actually win most of those games. Maybe Munster away is a bit too much of an ask, but it is tough. They've made life tough for themselves. But I, I can possibly see them doing it, um, particularly if they they don't have any more of a distraction of the uh, Champions Cup. Because I think Saracens going to be a, a tough game. But it's they've they, as I say, they've made life really hard for themselves.
2: Yeah, and it seems Edinburgh had a pretty dreadful night by all accounts at um, at side. It was it was the Ospreys, wasn't it? Yeah I sort of watched like 10 minutes
0: of it and then I was like why am I spending my friday night <laughs> wa- watching this like <laughs> it's just, it just it just it wasn't a particularly enjoyable watch the sort of one try um yeah and I kind of I mean I just kind of think Edinburgh need to kind of give up on the Pro12 a little bit sort of use it to blood some of the younger players and then really just sort of focus on the challenge cup because there's just no, there's nothing they can get from the Pro 12, and basically the Challenge Cup is just sort of their only scope for sort of getting anything this season.
2: Yeah, I I think you're right, and the SIU have sort of obviously plucked, put all their eggs in the basket by moving it back to um to Murrayfield, so hopefully everyone gets down there and watches that. But I think it was Bob Robertson of the of the Daily Mail put out that I think the attendance at Myerside was back to sort of two and a half thousand which obviously feels much better than two and a half thousands in Murrayfield. But do you think it's just proof that, you know, you need to be putting a decent product out there and it's the novelty of a new stadium. Isn't going to be enough to attract a fan?
0: Yeah, I think that's part of it also. I mean, it was a really crap night and it really shit weather and it's not dragons aren't like the big ticket, you know, it's not drawn in the fans. The Ospreys. The Ospreys is who we're talking about for Edinburgh. Um, so yeah, shit. Actually, that's quite a big game. So yeah, you would have expected more than two and a half thousand. I don't really know why they've moved La Rochelle to like Murrayfield. Like it's it's a quarter final, and it's not like anyone knows who La Rochelle are. I know they're top of the top fourteen. Like they're absolutely crushing it, but I just don't see them getting more than sort of six, even six or seven thousand for that game with, without sort of some sort of big marketing push
2: yeah i i I don't know I think you'd probably get around about ten thousand. I think maybe everyone knows La Rochelle because the, it was the town where everything happened in like the French textbooks when you were learning French at school, <laughs> certainly at Watson's anyway, everything happened in La Rochelle. That's the only reason I know where it is.
3: yeah no it was, it was encore trickle or the the textbook and everything seemed to be set in La Rochelle. I think they could get a decent number if they well uh, I suppose the big question is if they get a def- decent enough marketing push which they have shown themselves not to be very good at um but I think is with with the, the Pro twelve matches, sort of the losses they've had have been pretty bad. And I think you need to build a bit of momentum if they're serious about winning this cup. And I think it talked about it last week, but I find it bizarre sending two of your regular starters, Tom Brown and Sean Kennedy, over to Las Vegas for the Sevens. I just I cannot see the point in that personally.
2: Neither did I. Although if you know if Tom Brown gets a chance to cross the whitewash and score some tries, that would be a nice reminder to him. Maybe he'll get his uh, his scoring touch back. There is an argument to say that that's what Lee Jones got back when he went on the sevens tour. Now look at him, two more years at Glasgow and pushing for sort of first team starts.
0: Yeah, maybe. Who knows? Anyway, <laughs> I think... Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. The Sevens had a bit of a shit show as well. Well, not a shit show, but they sort of lost to what, Australia and Fiji and then um, sort of got knocked out by Samoa, I think, in sort of the plate semi finals. They're off to Vancouver next week, so pretty sweet. Um, one other thing I just wanted to talk about was I was listening to sort of the Times podcast called The Ruck and Stephen Jones, the main man, 18 time journalist of the year, 10 times Lions tour. Um, traveler was uh, was chatting on it, and sort of I was sort of all ready to hate him. And then for like the first sort of thirty minutes, he was chatting quite a lot of sense, and I was sort of finding myself agreeing with him quite a lot. He sort of was going on about how Scott Johnson was really rubbish, and then he also chatted about how Finn Russell was sort of mercurial and how he thought he was like the most exciting player. And then he moved on to sort of his lines fifteen, and he sort of asked who his fullback would be. And he said, I think, not an exact quote, but I'm paraphrasing. And he said, first, one of the first names on the team sheet, Rob Carney. And then obviously he was sort of challenged on it and why it wasn't Stuart Hogg. And he said, if you want New Zealand to put high balls up for us to be giving away penalties and for us to be 27 nil down before you know it, you should put Stuart Hogg in the team. Well say he's incompetent but i don't want to do that because that's not nice it's not nice but
2: it is true and stephen jones is incompetent yeah it's good to have trump on side with that as well actually that was his response we managed to get him on the record about stephen jones so yeah great i think yeah i mean i'm just he seems to have just picked up hogg as his new brian o'driscoll as someone that he's just not going to back as good enough and quite bizarrely seems to think isn't big enough to go on a lions tour when I mean, Hogg is, if he's not the biggest lad in the world, he's super strong. He never gets like ragdolled in contact or anything like that. He's, he's solid as you like. So there you go. There's our our weekly Stephen Jones um, Appreciation Society um, message. Shall we get into the the big ticket items, guys? Let's crack on. So what we thought we'd do. We're going to have a look at the, sort of the probable starting 15s. Sadly, our very well-placed sources in um, the Scotland camp haven't come up to, with us with any insight this week. Maybe the SRU are uh, getting better at keeping their secrets in-house. <laughs> but um, we haven't heard anything, so we can't shed any light on that. But we're going to have a look at what we think the probable 15s are and what a combined team would look like. And we think that will flesh out what the key areas are. So, Matt, why don't you start us off at... Uh, what do you want to start? Fullback or prop?
3: Uh, I'll start at so I'll do, I'll do the whole front row. I'm going to pass on to you guys. Um, so I'm going to go with Vunapola, Mako. Uh, obviously, Billy Vunapola could probably play prop to be fair. you with Mako, Vunapola, I'm going to go with Fraser Brown and I'm going to go with Dan Cole. What do you guys think of that? Yeah, I agree. Um,
0: apart from George Turner at uh, Hooker instead of Fraser Brown. Uh, no, I think if we can pick anyone from the squad, I think All-English front row with Jamie George, a hooker, as I go with, with Fraser Brown on the bench and just
2: kick Dylan Hartley into touch. <laughs> I agree with Alan on that one. I think I think Jamie George is by far the best hooker in, the, in these two sides. I think with Fraser Brown offering something off the bench, decent arrows. Let's get rid of Ross Ford and Dylan Hartley from international rugby. They've had their time.
0: Did you see the chat today that...
2: People were asking Ross
0: Ford about moving to prop, like doing a John Smith and seeing if moving him to prop could do, could show up. Because obviously he used to be a back row and he, how was he a back row? I mean, like, what was he doing? <laughs> he literally must be offering nothing. Um, yeah, so doing sort of a John Smith and moving to prop, but he sort of said he was too old in his career to change
2: position. I think that's the correct answer from Rossford. <laughs> I mean, if he is the answer, what is the question at the moment for Scottish rugby? Um, right, Matt. Well, why don't you take us through your second row? No, sorry. Just before we move on, the Scotland props are just getting battered. What if Nell and Dickinson were around? Are they going to? Would they push in at all? Do you
3: think? Um, maybe Nell would be making a case. I think. Um, well, I mean, other news was Dickinson made his comeback on Friday and got injured after playing playing I mean a f- fair amount of the game. It's a real shame um so yeah I, d- I can't really see any of those guys breaking in F- fagerson one day we saw it started scrummaging um but mo- moving on to second rows i'm gonna go with launchbury and johnny gray that's that's mine what do you guys think launchbury and
2: richie gray i think launchbury has made himself pretty undroppable i think he probably can fill that hole which johnny gray is currently filling for scotland that sort of epic workhorse that just doesn't stop and then you need Richie to be um the very tall line-out tactician who can do the um who can also do some decent ball carrying
0: yeah I think I'm sort of going to be sort of agreeing with Dave um I think Richie has really sort of stepped up his game and this Six Nations and I think has been offering as much as Johnny Gray in defence and has been offering slightly more in attack. I know he's sort of always been a little bit more of a dynamic player but just hasn't maybe had the same work work ethic in defence as Johnny Gray. Um, yeah, and I just think Joe Launchbury has been absolutely unbelievable in the Autumn Internationals and in the Six Nations. He's stepped up and I think he, even if Itoji and Cruz were both fighting for that second row, I just think he's got to
2: start. So yeah, back row is tricky. For me, Billy V, if he's fit, comes straight in. Um He got through 75 minutes for Saracens at the weekend, so I can't see Eddie Jones leaving him out, particularly because I think Nathan Hughes just hasn't really clicked as hard as everyone thought he would coming from Wasps. He hasn't made that step up to international level. Um At seven, Hamish Watson, and at six, I would have John Barkley on the form of this Six Nations. I just think those two have been absolutely outstanding.
0: Yeah, I think
2: you're right. What about Haskell?
0: Haskell is a bit of a... DJ Haskell. Uh, Hask is annoying as balls, but he is <laughs> he is quite a good. Like, against Australia and Six... Is he back? Or is he coming? Is he coming back? But yeah, I think you might put him ahead of Watson and
2: Barkley.
3: Yeah, possibly. He has been injured for a lot of the Six Nations. If we're picking just on the Six Nations so far, then that might count against him. Um... But yeah, maybe if you wanted a bit more balance in the back row as well, you'd have your big Billy, you'd have a sort of a real workhorse, but at the same time you had the size of Haskell. and then You'd have a bit more of a fetcher who could either be Barkley and Watson, actually. So yeah, I, I was going to go with, uh, maybe I would go with Haskell, actually. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with Haskell. Haskell, Watson, and and Billy. That's just
2: because you're a big Instagram uh, fanboy of his, aren't you? You just want to just make sure you keep getting likes.
3: Of, of Haskell's? Yeah, well. Did you see the video of him today on the construction site? It's really really, really good. The JCB having the time of his life. He's quite jealous. I will have to check that out. Post podcast today.
0: The weird one is sort of a you he's like the philosopher king of rugby. Sort of and he's sort of touted as the next sort of England captain. Um and he's sort of been moved to six almost to sort of accommodate Launchbury and Laws and the team. And I just think he's been sort of relatively quiet. Do you think that's because he's just f-
2: lost form, or is it just he's not a six and he should just be played in the row? I think it's, I think probably too much was put on him, and just sort of the expectation that he could play six for Saracens means he could play for six for England and um, and have as big an impact it was just taken as red almost. And you know, with people like, it's just England have just got an absolute embarrassment of riches in the second row, and I think Otoji's... He'd be str- would he be struggling to get his place back in the row now? I think that they would definitely, I think Eddie Jordans
0: likes him too much, and he does read philosophy, so you've kind of got to have him in for that.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I actually thought that Toge played very well against Wales in a really intense game when he's not used to that position, like he's making a, a lot of hits and just getting through a power of work. Um, I mean, even Courtney Laws has been playing really well, and he can play six, so you sort of have that optionality and he's just a big bruiser which maybe Scotland don't quite have you know coming off the bench for instance
2: yeah i think that's i think that's possibly where we're um where we're a little bit um beaten in terms of sort of size and physicality i think that the stuff that England can start the people they can bring off the bench that sort of interchangeable sort of second row to back row these huge big ball carriers i really think that yes we've got Johnny and Richie playing out of their skin but coming off the bench tim swinson like yes he changes the game slightly but he's not going to be able to come in and and really sort of he doesn't have that same level of physicality one thing i want to touch on since we're we've, we've pretty much put our, our our pack in the in the can there is obviously with hardy um writing himself off for the six nations and i mean the scots so or scotland's back row we presume will be barkley um watson and um ryan wilson Who would you have as your sort of back row replacements coming onto the bench
3: there for Scotland? Um, I'm just trying to think who who was coming off last week. I mean, you can maybe bring Dupree into the squad. He hasn't had a go, but, you know, he's a big, big player, big ball carrier, dynamic. I think you trust him to do a job at international level. I don't think he'd be phased by it. So maybe it's a good time to actually get him on and see if he can make an impact.
2: Yeah, I'd like to see Dupree on the on the bench there. I mean, your other options would probably be, what, Rob Harley um, or Magnus Bradbury, which I think for a massive game against England, if you're if you're looking for someone to come on and give you tw- an abrasive, dynamic 20 minutes, I think nobody fits that bill better than Cornell Dupree within the Scotland squad. Strokosh hanging out in Perpignan. <laughs> Bring him over. The attritional warrior. No, maybe not then. We'll leave it. <laughs> maybe not. Um what about the uh, scrum halves? I think with with Greg, out, I possibly would have picked him, but I think uh, you've got to have Ben Young slightly edging Ali Price. Although I will say it again, I love Ali Price. With Greg out, doesn't change anything. Um, <laughs>
0: I would still pick Ben Youngs. Although I think Ali Price is looking real sharp in the last game, and so I don't, I don't
2: think there's that much in it. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think hopefully Ali Price will learn the lesson that he, I think he was a little bit overexcited in the first 20 minutes of the Wales game and he took it into contact in with collisions with sort of second rows and back rows, which got himself into a little bit of trouble. But um, I think Youngs, Matt, you are typing that into your computer. So do you agree with Ben Youngs?
3: I do agree with Ben Youngs. It's my um, my exe- extremely sophisticated spreadsheet. Um, moving on to the halfback partner, quite a tough one, but I would actually go with Finn Russell. I think that... Um, if you're just picking players by the position that they've played, I think that Russell's actually, particularly in the Wales game, has outplayed Ford. I don't think Ford's done too much, and I think also Ford has the luxury of playing in a pack that is, you know, most most of the time going forward. So maybe quite punchy, but Russell would be would be my ten. What do you guys think?
0: Yeah, I. The thing with F- F- Ford is. He, how- Hold
1: up.
0: Doesn't seem to have played well for a while. Like I, I don't think he's really done sort of too much. So I, I think I think if I was going to switch things around, I would probably put Farrell at ten. But if we're just picking on position, I think you've got to pick pick Russell. He's clearly sort of been played a bit better than Ford during the whole Six Nations. Um, yeah, completely agree.
2: Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm a, I'm with Finn on that one. I think he's outplaying Ford, but I'm, I'm kind of with you, Alan, on that. I would switch in Farrell.
0: Can we chat about Finn
2: Russell's
3: gear in the Daily Mail this week? Talk about the whole, sort of, the whole press story. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. And to see the photo of him at Orion, he's sort of leaning on all fours, getting his photo taken really up close. It was absolutely ridiculous. But yeah, his gear, his camo jacket, and the streets of Glasgow, you couldn't see him. He blended in so well, you know. It's just It's unbelievable. This is This is the problem with the
2: SIU trying to put out personality stories to change this sort of narrative and it's just it's just rubbish. It's just you've got Finn Russell sort of off the back of his probably like defining Scotland performance against Wales. and they're just like, yeah go and swan around Glasgow in a camouflage jumper. <laughs> Talk about how you used to go out and miss Scotland and generally like for Phil if anyone had like a, a, a sort of ingrained stereotype of Finn it was that he was just a bit of a joker and like he's not that focused on the game. For me, the SRU have just been like, here you go, double page spread, fulfill your prejudices of Finn, and if he has a shocker against England, you know, you've got your, you've got your pantomime villain. I, I, was, I thought it was awful. I mean, I, I, work, I work in PR, and I just thought the SRU had a nightmare. All right, mate. <laughs> Bloody comms legend over here. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, if you're looking for a new director of comms SRU, I am interested. <laughs>
0: I'm just going to blame Scott Johnson. It, that was Scott Johnson's fault. But hey, 12-13. I ugh, foul at 12, and I'm going to go for B, Big Ben Teal at 13. Ooh, big Ben! I like him. I The games he's played, when he came on against Wales, he, I thought he really sort of changed it up. And when he gets quick ball, he is an absolute beast. And he's actually got a pretty good distribution game as well and I think that Hugh Jones hasn't done anything wrong but if I was to pick a team I think those would be my two players
3: yeah I definitely agree with Farrell and Tio is an interesting one I suppose I might give Jones the benefit of the doubt because he's played now three full matches whereas Tio sort of only come off the bench in games where the opposition has been tiring um but no I I think Tio He's a really good player. He's got all the skills, and that's obviously from from playing a league and playing across the, the positions. Um, but no, I'm happy with Farrell. If you played Farrell at 10, then maybe Dunbar would come into the equation because he's been playing really well. Um, but I'd be happy with those two. Yeah, I
2: I, uh, I would play... I love Dunbar. I think Dunbar has been like the out, outstanding and sort of unspoken like player of this whole championship. Like Farrell offers absolutely loads. If he was in my team, I'd have him at 10. But I'd have um, Dunbar at 12 and yep, yeah, I don't know, Jones hasn't done an awful lot wrong but Tio does offer something a little bit more but also Elliot Daly, if I was writing this team sheet, granted he's only played on the wing, I would have him as a contender for that 13 jersey, he is so good, he offers so much, he's a threat from absolutely everywhere and I think Scotland are going to have to be really, really um, wary of him at the weekend. What was
0: the rumour that Jack Noll was going to be playing 13 this weekend?
3: Well, I think that was in this quite odd sort of leaks piece of paper that was doing the rounds showing the whole England team with one of the key messages being, beat Scotland. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> tactics behind that. Say Eddie Jones is a massive tactician. I mean, how, how do you come up with that? Um, so I don't know if it's just smokes and mirrors. I think he'd actually be a pretty good 13. Like, He probably doesn't get the ball in his hands enough and he's a pretty destructive runner, but he's never played there before, so it's a bit of a risk.
0: Yeah, I, I agree that actually he would be quite good, but... It just seems really strange when you've got Elliot Daly on the other wing, why you wouldn't play him at 13. Um, But no, I agree. I think Elliot Daly is absolute class, and I actually think he could start for the Lions at 13. Him and Henshaw, I think, could be a pretty sweet little combo. Moving on to the back three, I'm going to have... I actually think it's pretty easy. Daly,
3: Seymour, Hogg. Daly, Seymour, Hogg. Um, I would have Seymour, Hogg, and... Jack, no, probably on one I'm a big fan, no. I really like him. Ahead of Daly? I would have... Ugh, I'd maybe have Daly at 13, though, now that I'm thinking about it, instead of Jones. So, yeah, that'd be a good backline.
2: What about Tim Boy Viss after his um absolutely amazing performance against Wales? Has he done enough to get into any combined team? Uh, no. <laughs>
0: um, But if he continues this form, he'll be starting for the Lions, you know? Like he, he, I mean, honestly, he had like, the best game I think he's, I've ever seen him have against uh, Wales a week and a half ago. So if you can continue on that vein of form, it would be interesting to see whether they start him or Maitland this um, this weekend. Obviously, Maitland got, I think, something like 75 minutes against Newcastle and supposedly played okay. But I think you've got to keep in Visser. The man's on form. He played well for Harlequins at the weekend as well. And you've just got to let him keep on this run.
2: My concern is that playing okay is what Maitland does, whereas Tim Visser, whatever team he's been in, apart from that really bad year and a half when Edinburgh just weren't playing rugby and he didn't score any tries, he is a try-scorer. Like He makes stuff happen. He always gets over the whitewash. And I think, for me, he answered his defense's worries last week. Sure, it was a tackle he probably should have made. But I don't know. I've never been that convinced by Maitland. I think he needs a huge amount of space to get going. He runs like a proper sprinter. He seems to take forever to get going. So, I don't know. I would I would start this for Scotland, at least. Um, but I'm sticking with my back three, as discussed there. Um, right, so there we go. There's our combined 15. Pretty good. And a lot of talking points, which we will come back to. I'm sure when we talk about whether we think Scotland can win the Calcutta Cup, but that uh, famous trophy, Matt, has built a quiz around it. It's uh, it's a wonderful thing. It's the best quiz, the most beautiful quiz. So uh, <laughs> here is uh, Matt to take us through it.
3: Thanks so much, David, for that excellent introduction. So, Calcutta Cup-themed quiz. Um, I'll read out all the questions, and then you can give me the answers at the end. So the first question is, where was the very first England-Scotland match? Played. Typing that, got an answer? Yeah? David, I see you struggling. No, I think I do. You think you got it? Um so and then the first match that was ever played, a bit of a clue from the one before, the first match that was ever played in England. Was it played at Headingley, the Oval, or the Twickenham stoop? What are you saying for that? I think you've looked at this today, little <laughs> on Wikipedia. Um what is England's record winning streak? In the fixture, and what is Scotland's? They're quite different. What'd be? Like what do you mean? Like how many games have they won in a row? Like in terms of their their record number of wins in a row in the fixture. I don't think it's that complicated, mate. Um, got an answer for that? Two of them. It's just a number. So. I mean, I've I've got a guess. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I quite like this one. When I was doing a bit of research today, so we talked about it before when um, Dean Richards and John Jeffrey had a little sort of. Night out in in Edinburgh and managed to boot the Calcutta Cup through the through Princess Street and George Street. Um, both of them received bans after the event. But can you name me the length of each of their bans from their respective unions? They are extremely different. <laughs> That's the only clue I'll give you. And then, this really separates the wheat from the chaff. How many players can you name? From the 2000 Calcutta Cup Scotland willing side that ground out that famous victory in the rain. Why are you trying to embarrass us? <laughs> I think. I mean, I I haven't really heard of some of them, but it'd be good. I was there. I was about nine. It was good. Can't remember. Um, to so just see what you can do. Okay. Ready to go with some answers? Go on then. Okay, so the very first England Scotland match. Where was it played? Uh, Rayburn Place. Oh, Christ, I put in Relief. It was Rayburn Place. Unlucky, David. Didn't ask it because I must do my bias. So the first match played in England. Where was that played? I went for Headingley. I've gone for Headingley as well. It was the Kennington Oval. Yeah, yeah. I put in Headingley as a sort of to throw you another cricket ground. Um, So England's record winning streak in the fixture. What do we get for that? Eight. So I had ten for England and
0: two for Scotland.
3: Okay, what did you have for Scotland, David? I had two for Scotland. I can't imagine they've ever won more than that. I think Alan's going to take the points there because the England's record-winning streak was ten and Scotland's was four. Oh. It's not too shabby. I'm not sure when that happened, but probably a long, long time ago. Um, so Dean Richards and, and JJ, what were their bans from each of their unions after the fact?
0: I actually have no idea. I'm trying to think which way they would have gone. I'm going to go with jj getting three weeks and dean
2: richards getting four months i think i think jj got quite a long ban like like almost like a whole season i mean i've written down nine months and dean richards i just wrote down one month
3: i'm gonna give it to dave dean richards only got a one match ban <laughs> <laughs> and john jeffrey's got six months <laughs> uh, maybe he was sort of the, more of the guilty party um I'm not counting the scores here. How are we all doing? 2-1 uh, to me. Okay. It's 2-1 to us. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, and the final one. Um, how many players can you name from the 2000 Calcutta Cup winning Scotland team? What have we got?
0: Well, should we just do one each? Yeah. So Dave's dad played. John Leslie.
3: He actually didn't play. I'm oh, sorry. Right. I'm sorry. <laughs> Andy Nickel. Andy Nicol is correct. There you go. Gordon Bullock. Gordon Bullitt was on the bench, so i will give you that. Duncan Hodge. Duncan Hodge, obviously. Absolute legend of that fixture.
2: Budge Poutney. Oh, Budgie was there.
3: <laughs> Tom Smith. Tom Smith was there indeed. Now this is getting tight.
0: What about Stu Mel Hero, Graham
3: Shield? He Graham Shield was on the bench. <laughs> 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 that is amazing. Um Budge Poutney. That's just been said. Oh, so, <laughs> sorry, well, so you got it. another one? Uh, do
2: I have another one? Um, how about Glenn Metcalf?
3: Yeah, Glenn Metcalf was there. What about a second Stumel legend, Doddy Ware? I think that was past Doddy Ware's time, unfortunately. What? Yeah, 97 was probably, 98 was his last season's, unfortunately. Uh, um, what about Got any more? Brian Redpath? Andy was playing nine. Tooney <laughs> Tooney was there
0: uh, Stuart Grimes
3: <laughs> <laughs> Not Stuart Grimes I'm going to give that to Dave um, So it's Chris, Chris Patterson A fullback um, A guy called Moir, Townsend Jim McLaren Glenn Metcalf Hodge Andy Nichol Thomas Smith Brotherston Matt Stewart Scott Murray Richard Metcalf <laughs> Jason White Poutney And Martin Leslie Ooh,
2: That's a really good back row actually Quite quite a big fan of that back row. So that is two all. 2-0. all.
3: So
0: we're just going with that.
3: We're go, we gonna have our first first ever draw on the pod? We could have a draw, though. I do have a decided that I asked you both today actually earlier, but it's quite an interesting fact. So there's only ever been one match played at a neutral venue between England and Scotland. Where was it and what was the score? Oh right. So it was Eden Park.
2: We both know it's in New Zealand because we were talking about that earlier. I think Scotland lost by, they lost by about 10 in the end. It was quite tight for about 60 minutes. I remember watching it. 26-18 to England.
0: I think it was a little bit tighter. So I'm going to go with 19-13.
3: It was 16-12 to England, so Alan, yeah. Alan, you have taken it. Um, yeah, 2011 World Cup, and Scotland really should have won that one, I remember. Um, so that's the quiz, so another win for Alan, unfortunately, but I hope you all enjoyed that.
2: Yeah, that was really um, upsetting that I didn't win that. I really thought I was on to something there. Oh, well. Um, right. Um, why don't we have a quick word from our sponsors, Cornerstone, the uh, premium raiser on the market. Uh, they are voted best razor on the market by GQ. So don't just listen to us. Don't listen to Simon Webster who uses it to shave his head. Don't don't listen to Al Strakosh, who also uses it to shave his head. Or our very own Alan Little who uses it to, to shave his face. Why not try it out? Get on the website Cornerstone.co.uk. Um, get in there. Get the um, your premium engraved shaft with your initials on there. You get six blades. And with our code Thistle at checkout, you get £10 off. For f- so for four quid, you get this razor, six blades, and then you can add on other stuff that you want. But this razor is uh, only four quid to try it out. You can cancel it whenever you want. It's a subscription service, but we're really big fans of it and they're helping us out. Um, so thanks a lot. Get on there, Thistle at checkout. Um,
3: right, Matt, can Scotland win the Calcutta Cup? Go. They can. They definitely can. I think that um, this is probably the best place they've been in a long time, um, particularly going to to Twickenham, um, coming off the back of a Welsh win and just generally playing really well in the tournament. Um, I think that if we're going to win, we need to keep playing to our strengths, which is playing into the wide channels, getting likes of Hogg, Seymour, and, and maybe visser who's playing on the wing, into the game as much as possible. Um, and if we get parity up front, then you know I think we can definitely um, score tries. My my main concern is getting that actual parity up front, and England just have such a massive pack, um, and particularly in the scrum, I think they've got a real edge on us, and in the on the bench, that they can bring on bring on some real bruisers. Um, you know, they're likely to have Vunipola and Nathan Hughes, and I just don't think we have anyone really like that. So that would be my reason why I just think that they won't quite do it but I think it'd be a really good match
0: yeah it's a weird one isn't it like we we were looking at the weather a couple days ago and we're sort of praying for no wind and clear skies which (laughs) I remember sort of four years ago sort of doing a rain dance trying to get because that that was sort of the only way that Scotland were going to beat England and you know, I think I think we know that England's pack is sort of stronger, and I think that their bench is also a lot stronger. But I do think Scotland's backline has a potential to really sort of open up the the England backs. Um, wh- I think timing is a bit of a- is a bit of an issue because I almost feel like if this had been the game two weeks ago, when sort of England was sort of coming off the Wales game, and we'd sort of come off the French. There would have been less sort of expectation. I almost feel like the big win against Wales and then also the fact that England kind of had a bit of a shocker against Italy has just sort of almost changed it. I don't know. It's just England aren't... We're not going to be able to, like, shock England. They know what's coming. They know that Scotland are good enough to beat them. And I reckon after that Italy game, England have taken a real hard look at themselves and been like, we've been lucky to get through the Six Nations. Um so, I don't think we're going to win the game, but I think we've got the best chance of winning that we've had for a long, long time.
2: Yeah, I, I, I'm really struggling with this one. I, I'm i going, so, you know, I want to be, like, as super positive as possible. I'm so, so excited. It's about the most excited I've been about going to, like, an international fixture in so long. Um, my concern is rugby is an 80-minute game, and we have got a great starting 15. You know, like, I think... We can we can hang on to them. We can play them, and we will score tries. The first time, I'm confident we will score two, maybe three tries past England, because I think that's just what this Scotland backline does now. But when you get to 60 minutes, when you get to that stage, when everyone's blowing out their eyes, having run themselves into the ground, what have we got to come on that is going to challenge England? Like Eddie Jones is pretty outspoken about his finishers, and you talk. You look at the guys that can come off the bench uh, if it is. Um, if it is people like Haskell, or if it is gonna be, I don't, I don't know who, who, who's gonna be coming on for Scotland. It'll be Swinson. It'll be Alan Dell, probably switching on for Gordy Reid. My concern is that England's twenty-two is sort of interchangeable about who is gonna start in that fifteen. I think in Scotland we have a starting fifteen, and aside from maybe a couple of um, places, and that you can have arguments on the back row, maybe when Hardy's fit, but. I just think we are markedly worse when our bench is on the park than when we are um, with our starting fifteen, and that is where I think we're going to lose it. But I think it's going to—I think it's going to be a high-scoring affair. I think we're going to really run them ragged. I don't think it's going to be like Scotland game, Scotland- games in the past where we get ground down and Farrell just kicks penalties and sort of puts us to bed. I really think we've shown against Ireland another very aggressive, efi- efficient pack and a big pack against Wales that we can do it and we can score points when we get a little bit of ball. And I think um oh god I d- I don't know. I think we're going to win. I'm going to go I'm going to go out there. I, I I don't know. I've just got I'm so all over the place on this one.
3: Big big prediction. I would absolutely love it to happen. I actually disagree with with your point about the the game sort of being so open because I actually think that if England play an open game against us, they'll be playing right into our hands. I don't think they'll do that. I think they'll actually look to grind us down. And at the moment, they're not playing well. They know that Scotland are a real banana skin far more in other years. They'll just be happy for the win. And I think they'll be more than happy to grind us down and, and let Farrell take the points and maybe score a few tries when we've sort of when we've got the bench on that's a bit weaker and maybe off a rolling ball or two. Um yeah, part of me really does think that we can do it and I think we should be confident going. Once again, A. Jones is, is putting in his his really annoying mind games and he's he's made Scotland favourites, which he did in his first game um, Was last year in the Six Nations. He, once again, he made us favourites and we got absolutely pumped. So I don't think we're very good at dealing with the pressure, that kind of thing. But then again, we did just beat Wales and we were maybe favourites. Um we still haven't won there since 1983, so they all just act against us. But hopefully, we can break that. Yeah, it's
0: it's it's annoying how this has sort of been built up a little bit. I, I don't think it's actually really come from the players too much. I think the press is really sort of building up this um, Scotland team and a lot of like w- kind of just almost like generic comments that sort of people like Hugh Jones have been making have been sort of built into yeah. something. that not actually, it isn't actually. And Eddie Jones has just been so good; he's just taken after the Italy game and after and before this game, there's just no real talk about the England team. Um, but yeah, I think England have won 17 games in a row. They know how to win and I can just really see, I can see us scoring two tries but I can see maybe six Owen Farrell penalties and sort of a Ben Teal try in the 70th minute and just like a, a classic sort of 25-17 win to England at Twickenham. Again, okay, hope we win but I just can't. Pessimism has worked for me this far, so I'm going to continue down that road. Yeah,
2: I think, God, it's, it's such a hard one to call. Guys, why don't you let us know what you think on uh, on Twitter? Let's get some score predictions and um, the closest, and we'll give you a shout-out when we're talking about the win next week. Um, are we all done, boys, do you reckon? Do you see um, Jim Telfer's
0: interview in the Daily Mail? They sort of roped him out again. He sort of... And um, was chatting about how he liked Eddie Jones because Eddie Jones offered him a free ticket for the game and he declined it. And then the Daily Mail asked Jim Telfer whether he thinks he'd like, he'd want green tea because Eddie Jones drinks green tea. And Jim Telfer was like, I drink brown tea. <laughs> <laughs> I do love the Jim Telfer interviews. There's a great picture, the first sort of picture in the Daily Mail is just Jim Telfer sort of looking off pensively. In, with like snowy borders behind him, <laughs> but uh, no, I think we're done. Um, is it? So you're going to the
2: you're going to the game?
0: Pay big bucks for that ticket? Did you?
2: Um, no, I got it for free. <laughs> for, I am the the benefactor of a girlfriend of a friend of mine uh, deciding not to go. I don't know what she's thinking, but what a great result for me! Bloody comms legend, get getting it done. <laughs> Although you did see that, that um there was lots of um unions getting in trouble for the, the reselling of these tickets because some of the standard tickets are going for like two grand and stuff like that. It's absolutely it's absolutely bonkers and it's stopping people um coming down and going to the game. It's a real, real issue. That's why I'm not going. Can't the true fans are missing out.
0: I'm sitting at home with my mum drinking some brown tea. <laughs> oh. Watching it on my 23-inch screen. But, yeah, no, I think it's going to be an absolute cracking atmosphere. It sounds from, there's a lot of Scottish people going down as well. So, uh, I know basically my whole family is going to it apart from me and my mum. So, that is great. <laughs> right, I think we're done. I think we're done. Cool. All right, have a good weekend. <laughs> Was that it? <laughs>
2: Cheers, guys.